This is Morning Jolt with Sister Ignatia from the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Morning Jolt is a production of Spoke Street Media. Wake up! Hello. Good morning. Good morning. This is a red letter day because the first time in this season of Morning Jolt, which surprise, there's two seasons of Morning Jolt, we have my dad visiting and recording with me right now. So it's kind of a treat. Yes, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Can you maybe explain like what you're doing in Indiana visiting? Just We're here to visit you. Aw, isn't that yeah. sweet? <laughs> <laughs> I know, they drove, what, 10 hours? To... 10 hours, wow. yeah. Wow. 10 hours from Syracuse just to see you. I'm pretty special, so. Well, with the pandemic, we haven't been able to <laughs> see each other very much. I know. And then, all yeah, all the sisters. I wish you all could have seen the sisters greeting my parents for the first time. It was pretty cute. Anyway. Yeah, it's been a few years since we've been here to the mother house, so it's really a treat to be back. Yeah. And do you approve of your coffee selection? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, very nice and especially tasty in my <laughs> Jello Museum mug. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, there is a Jello Museum in the state of New York. If Sister Elaine is listening... She'll be very happy about that. She um, brought a mug back for her from the Jell-O Museum. In Leroy, New York. Leroy. Yeah, if you've never heard of Leroy, New York, you are not the only one. So, <laughs> well, aside from everyone knowing that you're my dad mm-hmm. and that you're from Syracuse, New York, maybe. Syracuse, yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, maybe you want to, I don't know, some interesting things about yourself you want to share? Well, uh, my name is Joseph Henneberry. In Syracuse, I work at public radio station, WAER, and I'm also a freelance trumpet player. I've been doing that most of my life. Mm -hmm. Just a band geek who never grew up. And speaking of being a freelance trumpet player, you do have a gig while you're here. Oh, yes. We'll be playing at Mass tomorrow morning, Yeah, which is uh, a great honor. I always uh, believe that those are the times that I most appreciate being able to uh, play and add to the liturgy. Mm. And, oh yeah, so my dad agreed to be record an episode with me, and as you have heard, he's involved with public radio, so this is not your first time. No, no, not the first time on radio. <laughs> yeah. So, and then this episode I thought would be fruitful to talk about us together, but then also record, because I figure... There are a lot of people, I think, in the church and outside of the church that are touched by alcohol abuse in some fashion, like a family member themselves. Yeah, so maybe just to start, would you want to share your own experience with alcohol abuse, how it started, maybe? Sure. Uh, Well, alcohol and I had a relationship, I would say, you know, from my teenage years, I... uh, Grew up in Chicago, but then we moved to Wisconsin, like during middle school. So in Wisconsin, the uh, beer drinking culture started really young. And in high school, drinking, finding ways with your friends of, you know, getting away and drinking was, you know, like the main goal of a young man's life, I think. So, you know, part of it seemed like it was almost part of growing up, mm-hmm. you know, learning how to uh, drink a lot and impress other people by doing that. And I think naturally I was 
kind of a shy person. Mm -hmm. So when you can infuse yourself with a little bit of alcohol and you open up a little bit more and, you know, maybe you think you're more outgoing Mm -hmm. and, you know, charming, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, other people might perceive it differently, but, you know, in your own mind, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, affirms that kind of activity, I think. And, you end up being around other people that are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that helps affirm it too. So early on my uh, path into adolescence and early adulthood, alcohol was uh, seemed like always part of the landscape. Mm-hmm. And how long do you, do you think it took for you to be able to say to yourself, like, oh, I think I have a problem with alcohol, or if I keep going this way, it's not, not going to be good for me? Or Early on, I would drink to excess and you know feel terrible the next day or get sick or things like that because of it and you know you would tell yourself these little lies that Mm -hmm. oh i'll know not to drink that much you know this coming weekend Mm -hmm. or whatever and try and moderate your alcohol intake but for some people that works for others like myself it didn't so Mm -hmm. no matter how much i would you know, tell myself I will do better, Mm -hmm. you know, it just never was. So early on, I think deep down, I felt that I would have a problem with my behavior. So, you know, it took quite a while of living in that Mm. before I actually made a change. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and because I'm always like growing up as a young adult and then me being the same age that I knew that you were when you married mom, I was like, wow, like that's really young. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you were going on 20, right? Yeah, 20 years yeah. old when we got married, yeah. Mm. So then how long into, was pretty soon into the time when you guys were married that became a problem or you, like, you realized like, okay, I have to change? I didn't actually stop drinking until I was in my 30s. So, uh, you were an infant at that point, I okay. believe. So, yeah, we had a number of rocky mm-hmm. episodes in our marriage, mm-hmm. you know, because of my drinking. You know, a lot goes into that kind of lifestyle that affects a relationship. You know, when somebody, uh, oh, I'm going to stop off with the guys after work. Yeah. And instead of being a one hour, Mm. You know, stretches into walking in the door at home at uh, midnight. And uh, Mm. so you end up lying about Mm. things, you know, kind of saying things like that, knowing that you're going to be hanging out and, you know, no intention of coming home necessarily. At least in my way of life, I never really drank a lot around the house. Yeah. I never really... Mm had a lot of alcohol in the refrigerator and things like that. So it was always kind of a social thing with me. Mm -hmm. And I knew that your mother didn't approve of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and didn't want that kind of atmosphere in our home around young children. It was pretty easy for me to find friends to do that with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess mom, yeah, had my grandfather, your father-in-law also probably growing up with him. Like he also had a problem with alcohol, so knowing not wanting that to be the home life that we had, I guess. Or Yeah, no, your grandfather and I had a couple of uh, really enjoyable years together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. He was a fun guy. Yeah, I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I guess, yeah, then what was that process like when you, I mean, was it like, I'm going to stop drinking or? I can't say as I was, um, you know, the noble guy that <laughs> came to all these conclusions on my own. Mm. Things got progressively worse because I had started my own business and things weren't going well with the business. And, you know, I was working incredibly long hours and then using alcohol to mm. decompress and to escape the pressures and things like that. And so that meant that, you know, I was not at home a lot. You yeah. know, I was working and stopping at a bar or something like that to drink after that. And so, you know, going to bed late and waking up early. Mm. And so, yeah, for a few years, I was um, almost an absentee kind of mm. spouse and father. Mm. So that really put your mother in a spot. And it was her saying to me that you're going to need to make a choice. Yeah. Either you continue on this lifestyle. If you decide to do that, it's not going to be with me and the children because obviously in those choices that I, I make or that anybody makes, you know, you are making conscious choices. And at mm -hmm. a time you think to yourself that I'm doing the best that I can and this is the only way I can deal with it. But you do make a choice. Mm -hmm. and. You know, it's not a one-time choice. It's an everyday choice, you know. I think that's one great thing about the Catholic faith. It's like every day you wake up, every day you are given a new life every morning. Yeah. And what yeah. choices you're going to make from the time that that alarm clock rings, mm -hmm. you know, determines how your day is going to go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at that point, I basically chose my family over Mm -hmm. how I had been living my life before. Mm -hmm. Did mom saying that, was that like a surprise to you? Or I can imagine like, I don't know, just the the weight of that decision, like becoming very real would be kind of scary or... Oh, terribly yeah, scary. And it was not that I was afraid to leave alcohol per se, but the stress that I felt I was under because of business and financial implications mm -hmm. of that. I really didn't know how to handle my life at that point, mm -hmm. financially, business-wise. And then that spilled over emotionally, and my faith life was pretty non-existent other than, you know, me crying out to God to help me, <laughs> you know, in a way. Yeah. But the reality was it was a lot easier to medicate yourself through mm -hmm. dealing with all those emotions with alcohol. Yeah. So it was scary at that point, you know, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, because if I change things, how am I going to deal with it? I can imagine that people understand, like, the way that we've figured out how to deal with the negative emotion and problems in our life, and then you, like, legitimize it to yourself. Well, this is, like, the only way that I can handle this situation, or this is the only way that it works for me, or... I only do this because my life is so difficult or something when you kind of set yourself up for, and that's not true. And it's also, yeah, limiting, yeah, what God can do in your life or yeah, maybe your life doesn't have to be so. Right. Well, yeah. at, at a certain point you can't see what the future mm -hmm. is going to be, yeah. you know, and I think too many times people think the worst 
when in reality, you know, the best could be right around the corner, you know, but you're yeah. just so terrified because you don't know. And fear of the unknown, I think, is mm. in people's minds is the worst thing. Yeah. You know, you just don't know. Mm. And it's like you're grasping at every opportunity yeah. not to go there. <laughs> but you went there. Yeah, thankfully, yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say that I've had a couple of very good friends. Mm -hmm. Your mother spoke to our neighbors who, Jack and Raylene, you mm -hmm. know very well, mm -hmm. obviously. Yeah. And uh, Jack was a very good Christian man. And um, he came to me one night, you know, that your mother had been over at their house, just begging for help on how to wow. deal with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jack and I sat at our uh, picnic table in the backyard. And, you know, I remember vividly, you know, he's trying to describe to me how a Christian marriage should be and what wow. the role of the man in a marriage and how, you know, he was honest with me, you yeah. know, about my pattern of life is not good and we prayed together or whatever. I always, for the most part, consider myself still a Christian and a Catholic through all that. Mm -hmm. It's just I felt kind of trapped, like I said. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember saying to him that, well, you know, after all this hard work I go through, I think I deserve to have a few drinks at the end of the day to mm -hmm. decompress. You know, if I can't do that, you know, that's not so bad. But obviously it was never just to have a drink to yeah. wind down at the end of the day. Now, I'm sad to say that his talk was not life-changing for me. Mm. My behavior didn't really change after that. And it was another friend who a few months later, when your mother actually said that if you decide to continue mm -hmm. living like this, she was going to leave. And she knew that uh, friends of hers who had been involved in AA would be willing to bring me to a meeting. Wow. So she gave me their phone number and I called them and asked them to give me a ride to the next AA meeting. Wow. So, and that's where the change in my life actually mm -hmm. happened. And then her friends became your friends? Like, did one of them become your sponsor in AA? Yeah. Well, they were friends before. You know, we had always been friends. And I knew that they had kind of changed their life. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't realize how much they had relied on AA and how active they were in it. And thank God they were because they knew exactly how to handle somebody in my situation. <laughs> yeah. Because they had been there. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure it wasn't just, yeah, you said it's a decision every day. So, I mean, you made that decision to go to the first AA meeting, but I'm sure as like the weeks went by, like there's probably moments when you didn't want to go or wanted to. Actually, things in my life, as far as business-wise, started to unravel and the business ended up becoming defunct and I was selling that. Mm. So I wasn't working you know, 16 hours a day anymore, I was kind of working eight hours a day. And so nights were free for the probably first month, six months I was going to AA meetings. It was every day. So every night I would go. Every night? Yep. Wow. You have to learn how to live your yeah. life without alcohol in it. Mm -hmm. Going and being around other people who don't have that as part of their life is the main thing for me, if I would have said, oh, I'll just stop drinking, but I'll 
go hang out at the bar and yeah. drink a soda. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to replace the, the social interaction, but the habit of drinking within a, like a new group of people. And yeah, and just the social context of it. I After one of the meetings we had gone to, they were going to have a card game at their house. They're inviting people over to play cards. And mm -hmm. uh, so it was like 10 o'clock at night. And uh, I said, sure, I'll go over and sit at the kitchen table. And here we are playing cards, drinking coffee at 10 o'clock at night. And it was almost a surreal experience because <laughs> I thought to myself, this is the first time I've wow. ever played cards without drinking. Mm. And it's like possible. Or like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we had a good mm. time. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. yeah, you have to really learn a whole new mm -hmm. way of living. Was there a moment when I'm sure mom like realized you were changing or things were? Yeah, I think your mother is pretty smart and she, uh, <laughs> I think she was kind of guarded to see how things would go. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, because it doesn't take you far to, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you read a little bit or hear life stories about people relapsing, mm -hmm. you know, it's um, just so common. One of the hardest things. I've had to do in my life, certainly. Mm -hmm. And I only account it to Grace that was able to mm -hmm. happen. So I think without God's mercy, and I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. You know, how did letting go of and healing from like the addiction side, how did that, I mean, you said you considered yourself a Christian and a Catholic all the way through, but I'm sure your perspective on your faith and like how you lived it drastically changed. Well, sure. I ended up being at mass more often. Hey. And the times that I that we did go as a family, I didn't feel hungover. So Another that plus. goes a long ways for helping you progress in your spiritual walk. <laughs> <laughs> Start with the practicals. Like, exactly. Yeah. You know, baby steps. <laughs> like grace come in. Yeah. Baby steps. Mm -hmm. Show up. That's mm -hmm. where you got to start sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what would you say, I mean, I think we we're talking a little bit before about like, I guess with my exposure, obviously like with the church and church life. And then, of course, knowing even though like I'm a consecrated person, like I can sin just like everybody else. And yeah, developing addictions can happen. What would you maybe say to somebody that, well, if you're living your Catholic faith well, like addiction shouldn't be a problem for us or like we shouldn't. That's absolutely ridiculous, you know, that somebody would, you know, believe in God and yet they develop a addiction to alcohol or something. But Well, I think all you have to do is read the scriptures and you're gonna find all sorts <laughs> of human problems. You know, I've known a number of religious or priests mm -hmm. who've struggled in every area that a normal human being would. And mm -hmm. I've had uh, some good friends who are priests and it's really change my perspective and a priest is just a man like anyone else the only difference being is that you know my vocation as a married man is to my wife mm -hmm. a priest is a married man he's married his spouse is the church mm -hmm. but i think in a lot of ways we live out those vocations very similar mm -hmm. a very similar way when i was living an alcoholic life where was i looking for relief from the pressure and the stress and things like that. And I was going to alcohol as a crutch rather than my wife and my marriage mm -hmm. and my family where I should have 
been turning as the mm-hmm. refuge, you know, and some priests I know, I've heard stories secret at night after everything is done. Mm-hmm. They might, you know, be drinking by themselves alone in the rectory rather than seeking comfort in the church as their bride, you know, and that church is the people, yeah. you know, for since there's not as many priests anymore and rectories aren't full the way right. they used to be, priests find themselves alone instead of trying to reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's sad, you know, and I don't think we should uh, think less of them mm-hmm. because they have struggled with something that any human being would. Yeah. I think it's a good response and a good thing to remember when we want to, yeah, of course, we all and priests and religious are called to a life of holiness and of course should live up to that. But again, yeah, we're humans and we struggle with all the same things. Well, John so. Paul too tried to make sure that people understood there's a universal call to holiness. Yeah. <laughs> holiness is not just yeah. for uh, religious and priests, mm-hmm. you know, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not being too easily affected by scandal or something. Well, you just have to acknowledge, you know, that, uh, being a human being is messy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no matter what kind of clothes you're wearing. Total aside, but I think if we ever have a morning jolt mug, I feel like that should be on it. Oh, that's being a human being is messy. That's a. <gasps> did I just come up? With I think something? you did. <laughs> Quote Joe Henneberry. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, so a couple, yeah, other questions I wanted to ask you too of like. Yeah, what what would you tell someone who maybe in this moment even hearing this or like kind of batting around in their mind like that they might be they might have a problem with alcohol? Well, as far as my experience, I would say to somebody that if other people are making comments to you mm-hmm. and see that maybe there's problems in your life that uh, are being caused by alcohol that you should listen to them and mm. don't be so quick to uh, become defensive or dismiss, you know, what somebody else has to say. Usually when your mother made comments to me about it, you know, I would get defensive or whatever. But interiorly, I knew yeah. that there was problems. Mm. But it goes back to being scared and you don't want to admit, especially, you know, as a young man, you know, I, I should be the strong guy, you know, and, and all that. And I should be able to figure this whole thing out. Mm. And it's hard to admit that I can't do this. Mm -hmm. But if you do acknowledge, and for me, you know, going to an AA meeting with other people that could help me and finally admitting that I needed help and it can change your life Mm -hmm. just by opening up a little bit. Mm. Let Grace in just a little bit. Yeah. Having experienced, especially mom, like bringing things up to you. And and what would you say to somebody who is witnessing maybe a loved one suffering and abusing alcohol? Or I think the first thing I would say is to uh, pray for that person. Mm. I think it all would start there. And I'll bet your mother would probably say the same thing Mm. that she prayed for me and for our marriage, you know, long before things changed. Plus, it might um, put you in the the right mindset and have your heart in the right place in how to approach somebody because you can't just waltz into a room and say, 
you're a bad person, you're <laughs> drinking alcohol and you shouldn't yeah. do it and you need to stop. That's not really going to help mm -hmm. probably find people that can actually help. I was very fortunate to have people who um, had the experience, you know, mm -hmm. and knew exactly what somebody in my position needed. And we had been friends before so that there was a relationship there to draw from and take deeper. And also don't be afraid, I think, if you say, you know, you're there to help somebody and honestly mean it. Mm. The only thing is you have to be ready. I've got mm. a uh, a relative of mine that had also had a problem with alcohol and is involved in AA and has sponsored numerous people. But it's a vocation that requires a lot of love and mercy. Mm. You have to be uh, ready when you're saying you're going to offer help and support to somebody. You're dealing with people that their lives are probably in a real mm -hmm. messed up place. Yeah, that seems like a pretty tangible witness of God's unconditional love, that you're loving somebody, pouring yourself out to somebody before they're really capable of responding to it or accepting yeah. it. Or Yeah, but, so yeah, yeah it's going to be... Real human interaction. Yeah. <laughs> it's real messy. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and people on both ends, a lot of times, would rather not, you know, go there. Yeah. So that's when things don't change. I think when somebody sees somebody in their life that is struggling with a problem, be it alcoholism, a young pregnant mom, yeah. uh, you know, any of the real touch points in a human's life, you know, if you have to be willing to go into it mm -hmm. in love and to give of yourself. And if you don't take that route, those real transforming moments won't happen. Mm. Wow. Well, I can't probably say enough how much I appreciate being able to talk to you about it. Mm. And one, being a witness that like God's grace is actually really effective in our lives. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the beneficiary of all that happened before I had memories of anything, <laughs> all the struggle and everything. But yeah. yeah, I can be a witness to like, yeah, my dad opened up his heart to grace, changed, and his life is better, but also mine too. Like, yeah. Oh, I thank my God gift. every day. Um, <laughs> That compulsion to drink mm. was gone, that there were good people there to help me when I needed it. Yeah. And people ask me, you know, do you ever want to have a drink again or whatever? And it never crosses my mind. You know, sometimes if I'm at a function and somebody offers me a drink and I just, no thanks. You can give me a million dollars to go back to drinking again. It adds nothing to my life. Yeah, It adds nothing to my life. Would you care to close us with prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for Sister Ignatius' ministry, and I pray that you bless it. And I pray that any words that I've had to say today might uh, reach somebody who uh, needs to hear them, and I pray that... Uh, they can be a comfort to somebody who's wondering if if their life can change and uh, 
I just pray that um, people will um, trust in you and place their hope in you because there really is nowhere else to go but to you. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Dad. Sure. Thank you for asking me. I hope you like religious life as much as I do. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, contact us at our website, ssfpa.org. He leads, I follow. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.